Welcome, everyone, to It's a Wrap with Rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. This podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire and motivate and educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Patrick Chester. Patrick is an author and speaker on the subject of gambling addiction. A former addict himself, he now lives in Washington State with his wife and two sons. Patrick's problem with gambling started in 2005. He was working for himself as a contractor, so had access not only to his own money, but that of his customers, and resorted to criminal acts to feed his addiction. What started out as fun turned into a catastrophe that landed him in jail. Patrick spent 15 years as a raging gambling addict, lost millions, and destroyed his family in the process. Patrick is now living a life of recovery, trying to help educate people about what gambling addiction is, how to recognize it, and what the dangers are, as well as helping people suffering from it. Welcome, Patrick, to the podcast. Ron, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to um, you know what should be a, a very enlightening and interesting conversation about yes. addiction and mental health as well. Yes, thank you very much for coming on. Tell us about yourself prior to the addiction problem, uh, growing up, education, marrying, have a, having a family and career. Sure. You know, I grew up like a lot of people do. You know, my family, my upbringing wasn't much different than most people. You know, my parents divorced when I was nine, you know, went to a private school, you know, um, didn't take school very seriously, to be honest with you as a kid, you know, and, and that, you know, uh, that caught up with me in high school. And eventually I got it together and went to college and you know, was fairly well educated and, and, and did all of that, you know, but growing up, I grew up with a, with a, an abusive father, you know, one that was a raging alcoholic. He didn't have a gambling addiction, uh, you know, like I eventually developed, but he was a, he was a big time alcoholic and, and verbally and physically abusive, you know? And so, uh, that's, that's something that as a kid, you don't really recognize the ramifications or anything like that. Yeah. But as you get older, as you know, you get older and you go through uh, life's experiences, you can look back on that and, and kind of see how that may have affected you. And, and that's what I've done. Tell us how the gambling thing started for you. Uh, what what sparked your desire to keep gambling and, and how did it over over uh, take over your life? Well, it just started out as fun, you know, and, and going back to like we talked about just a second ago, my childhood, my, my father did gamble. He just he wasn't, you know crazy about it but he did gamble and so i was introduced to it as a kid yeah and i always looked at it as wow this looks like a lot of fun my dad's gambling with his buddies they're drinking they're having fun they're laughing you know and it was all around sporting events you know that's what my thing was i was a sports gambler i wasn't necessarily a casino gambler oh, you know okay. so i grew up around sports played sports loved watching football college football games my whole life been going to those and so as I got into my teens and, and early 20s, I started gambling. And this was before online gambling. I was primarily betting through bookies at that point, you know, um, on NFL games, college football games and that sort of thing. And I would do it with friends and we would have fun. It wasn't anything I viewed as, as dangerous or or detrimental in any way. I'd bet 100 bucks or 50 bucks on a game and that was that. You yeah. Know, but as I as I, you know, as we can get into here it progresses, you know, and it's, if you're susceptible to addiction, like I was, it, it can sneak up on you. And that's what happened to me. Did your wife know about the gambling problem? And if not, uh, how did you keep it a secret? <laughs> no, she didn't. She knew 
you know, as we, we, we were married back in 2006 and, and, and there were problems right away with our marriage, financial issues, all kinds of, of issues that she couldn't really pinpoint because as gambling addicts, we, we're, we're creative. Okay. We, we hide things really well. And, you know, I always refer to gambling addiction as the hidden addiction because it's, you don't see it physically on a gambling addict, like you would say with a drug addict or alcoholic where you can really pick up on it. And so I was, I was able to hide it. You know, she knew there were problems, but she couldn't, like I said, she couldn't pinpoint the root of it. And, you know, I would, I would lie or I would misdirect or I would tell her, well, I don't know why this happened to your bank account. I don't know why you're overdrawn your bank account, but let me figure it out. I'll take care of it. You know, and, and as a spouse, your tendency is to want to believe your spouse, right? You don't want to believe the worst. And so, you know, I was very convincing. And, and, And like I said, as gambling addicts, we can, we can spin the truth and we're creative with our lies and our deception. But eventually she did find out in, in 2015. So we're talking, uh, well, it was over a span of 15 years, but then it was a span of nine years because you were married in 2006. Right. So you, so obviously you were in charge of the family finances. Would that be safe to say? At the time I was, yeah. Yeah. So she didn't have, you know, too much of a clue. Of what was yeah. Going. You know, I, I was, I was handling the mortgage payments and yeah and insurance payments and the electric bill and everything else again, you know, and so, yeah. And so what was happening is I, I I had gone, there was a stretch of time. I think it was around 2000, shoot, 2009, 2010, somewhere in there when things started getting really bad with my addiction, where I just stopped paying the mortgage altogether because gambling was more important to me. You know, I, um, I I was taking money from my three-year-old son's piggy bank, you know, um, these are the things we do as, as, as raging gambling addicts that are, that are from the outside seem so wrong and so evil, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, 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 but, and so those are the kind of things I was doing. Yeah. No, Pat, was there any, was there any, I kind of, you want to use the term joy in the deceit? Did you get any satisfaction out of, Hey, I can, I'm pretty good at this. It's a good question, Ron. There, there, um, there is a sense of <clears throat> a sense of that. Yes, you know, talking myself out of a mess, talking myself out of a certain situation. When I've got people breathing down my neck, right? Police calling me, customers calling me, my wife calling me from work in a panic <clears throat> to smooth things out, even if it was just temporary. You know, for a couple hours, where I can I can appease somebody with a story or a lie or something to that effect. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. There was a, there was a sense of satisfaction with that for sure. Was it hard to, to, it, it, I know when you tell a lot of lies, sometimes <clears throat> you can't keep them straight after a while. Did that ever happen? <laughs> that's, that's the challenge. You know, it got, it, it got to the point, Ron, where I was, yeah. I mean, I, I had a circle. I had a big circle of people that I was, I was, I was misleading, lying, deflecting, everything. And so what you have to do is remember, well, what did I tell this person? Because that's got to match up with what I told this person because right. they may talk to each other. Right. And it's this, it's this, this vicious cycle that you get into where, yeah, you know, it's like the, the hamster in the wheel, right? You just, you just keep spinning your wheels and you're, and you're trying to put this person off and put out this fire over here all the while creating more, you know, um, more damage over here by lying to these other people. And so it's, it was hard to get out of that mess, out of that circle. Pat, was there a was there a point in time uh, when you could have stopped gambling, or 
you could have reached out for help, like uh, like an early warning indicator. My biggest regret. Yeah, I mean there 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 were there were instances, there were junctures during that period of time. You know, like I said, from about 2006 all the way to 2015, where I would look at myself in the mirror and and, and say to myself, "All right, it's it's time. Okay, own up to it now. Take your lumps." and begin the healing process. But I never had the courage to do that. And, you know, once I got to the point, as we'll get into here in a minute, around 2013 to 2014, right at the very end, I was so deep at that point, I was I was beyond even entertaining the thought of coming clean. But there were times, yeah, and, and I wish looking back on it now, that's my biggest regret. Yeah. I didn't, didn't own up to it sooner because it wouldn't have gotten as bad as it did. At what point did the fun or throw of gambling leave you? Probably around the time I started working for myself, you know, and that was, you know, late 2000s, you know, um, when I started taking deposit checks from customers, for example, for big projects, 20, 30, $40,000 checks. Right. And using that, I was, now I was in, I was in. I must tell you about one of our guest supporters of the podcast. Her name is Nadine Barton, and she is an author, 25-year U.S. Navy veteran and founder of the Can a Girl Catch a Break chickboutique.com store. Founded in 2019, Can a Girl Catch a Break Chick Boutique has come a long way from its beginnings in her friend's guest room in Bonaire, Georgia, while enduring a miscarriage. In conversation with her friend while crying, Nadine quoted, Can a girl catch a break? It was history from there leading to her book and store. From the trials and tribulations she endured growing up that took her from tragedy to triumph and writing her first book, Can a Girl Catch a Break?, Every woman and man in this world deserves a break. Nadine has always been passionate about shoes and makeup and can always be seen wearing the highest heels. By bringing up her website, www.canagirlcatchabreakchickboutique.com, you will be amazed by what you see offered. Ladies, gorgeous toe-high heel pumps, designer rivet stilettos, ice-cold stud elegant jewelry, handmade tribal earrings, all styles of ankle boots, giddy-up boots, thigh-high boots, over-the-knee boots, winter boots, motorcycle boots, just to name a few. It doesn't stop there. There is a clothing line offered including plus sizes, jewelry, makeup, skin and hair, care products, wigs, purses, natural love body butter, can a girl catch a break, fragrance oils, and also, men, we too need a break. The boutique offers men's shoes, socks, cufflinks, hats, neckties, scarves, watches, hoodies, and the list goes on. One must simply go to the website and check it out. When developing her website and picking out the content displayed on it, Nadine ensured that everything you see is nothing but the best quality. Nadine would never promote any product she would not wear herself. The website is extremely user-friendly, making navigation a breeze so you will always be able to easily and quickly find what you are looking for without any hassle. For United States customers, shipping is free. International shipping is welcomed, and no matter where you are in the world, orders will be shipped to you. You will never have to wonder where your shipment is in the process because you will get updated email notifications. Can a girl 
Catch a Break Chick Boutique is thrilled to be part of the marketable wing of the fashion industry. Why do they care? Because you are important to them and your wish is their command. Can a girl Catch a Break Chick Boutique strives to please their customers and their needs, and it is their desire to ensure that it is fulfilled by leaving their store chick happy and satisfied. All major forms of payment are accepted. The store's website link will be listed in the podcast notes. And I was in debt so deep that I was starting to use that money to feed my addiction and to cover up gambling debts. It was, it was, it was no, it was no longer fun at that point because then it then my my phone would never stop ringing. I had customers calling me 50 to a hundred times a day, chasing me around town, looking for their money. It's hard to, you know, but in my mind, I'm convincing myself that, well, all I got to do is win a big bet and I can pay this guy off, you know? And so that's the sickness inside the brain that's going on. But yeah, that's, it, it was, it was no longer fun at that point. So tell us uh, what your rock bottom moment was when, when you told yourself, that's it, I'm done. Well, <clears throat> see, the thing was, is I never, I never did come clean. It was, it was brought to me by my, my family presented me, they found out and okay. they, they presented me with um, an option they had an intervention for me. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, and it happened really quick. Once my wife's family found out, they brought my wife into it. And this all happened within the span of about 24 to 48 hours where I was sitting in a room with my family and an interventionist. And they presented it to me as a lifeline, so to speak, you know, here's a chance for you to go off to treatment for 30 days, get yourself together and start over, you know? And so that's what I did. But really that wasn't my rock bottom. My rock bottom came when I got back home from treatment because there was a three week period of time there after the point in which I got back from treatment to where I went to jail. And that was rock bottom. When you're sitting in that place surrounded by people that don't care that they're even in there and they have no hope in life. Yeah. And there I am with, with a wife and son on the outside, not knowing what they're doing or what they're thinking or what they know. And my brain is spinning in circles. And then you have all this time to think back on, on the, the years of lies and the year and the choices I made and all the things I had done. Well, I, I mean, all I could do was stare at walls and think about what all of these things I had done. And so that was, that was it. That was rock bottom. Do you look back now and, and feel uh, serving a jail term was actually a good thing in a way? Absolutely. No doubt about it. I, I'll never forget walking into that that courtroom that day thinking, well, I had just gotten out of treatment. The judge and my lawyer even told me this. He said, you know, the judge might view this favorably and, and yeah. you may not even get, have to go to jail. And I made my case and, and I said, you know, I, I, I recognize the, <clears throat> the choices I made were wrong and I was sick and I'm, I'm trying to get better now. And she looked at me and she goes, you know, the best thing for you is to go to jail today. And she was right. You know, the, I wasn't ready to go into the outside world at that point. I was still mentally, um, mentally, I was still a mess. You know, my, my head was still cloudy. I had no real concept of what was happening. You know, I needed that time. I needed those, those months sitting in there, staring at walls and thinking about what I had done, you know, and bringing with me what I learned in treatment. You know, I went to treatment for a month and I brought those tools with me and, and I'm, I'm working through those while I'm sitting in that place. And, uh, yeah, it was the best thing for me because when I left there, I had a, I had a sense of clarity and a sense of freedom, freedom from addiction, not from jail, but from addiction that I hadn't experienced in, in many, many years. And did you have to make uh, restitution to the victims 
of, of your actions? I did. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and some of those, um, some of that is to family members too. You know, I, I had cast a pretty wide web. <laughs> so yeah. yes, I, I, I had, uh, I was over a million dollars in debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars in restitution, um, still paying some of that back, you know, but I've, I've, I've come a long way, you know, I'm, I'm, I can now see the light at the end of the tunnel. Whereas, you know, leaving jail, I was staring at millions of dollars in debt and not knowing how in the world I was going to ever pay that back. Did you ever, ever consider suicide? You know, I did. Yeah, I did. And that, um, those were the bad, those were the, the darkest days, you know, yeah. that was around towards the end, 2013, 2014, when I would, I would, there were days where I would sit in my car and I was no longer working because I had no work to do. I was just out hustling and I'd be sitting in my car, just staring aimlessly out the window at nothing, but, but nothing, you know, and, and thinking about how in the world can I end this? This is, I got it. I got to end this somehow, some way and make it look like an accident so that hopefully my wife, my life insurance will pay out for my wife and son. Those are the, those are the thoughts going through my head at the time, you know, and in my mind, you know, even though my wife didn't know about the gambling addiction at the time, in my mind, she was going to be better off without me. And my son would be better off without me. He would be bummed out. Obviously his dad's gone, but he would get over it. That was my thinking at the time. And looking back on it now, it's, it's scary to even think I was in that, that state of mind, but that's where we go as gambling addicts. We get, it's our, our, we become so isolated and so desperate and so afraid to reach out for help that we're almost living in our own fog, right? We, we, we can't tell anybody what we're doing and, and making all these bad choices. And we're just terrified and there's no, we can't see a light at the end of the tunnel. It's gotta be just a really lonely existence. Oh, it's terrible. You know, and, 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 you know, Ron, the, the, the worst part about it was coming home at the end of the day, every day, yeah. walking through the door and trying to put a, trying to put a smile on my face and convince my wife that, Hey, everything's okay today. Yeah. Knowing that it's not knowing that I had just lost our mortgage payment or they just were going to repossess our car, or I just got a call from the sheriff, all of it. Right. And this would yeah. go on from the time I woke up until the time I went to bed, my phone would never stop ringing and I have to hide my phone and I have to do this because I don't want my wife to catch on to what's really happening. So you mentioned there was an intervention. Uh, how did your family find out and, and what led to that intervention? So what I had done towards the end, this was, this would have been late 2014. I, I had actually sent a, an email out to a family member of mine and it was just a desperate email um, admitting that I had a gambling problem and I couldn't get a handle on it. Not thinking, I think in the back of my mind, I was hoping that she was going to lend me some money or something like that. If I sent her this email, but she turned it over to my father-in-law and then my father-in-law he started this whole process where he got obviously my wife involved, the rest of the family. Uh, basically they assembled a team of, of family members and put this intervention together. And that's what got me on the path, you know, that I'm on now, but that's, I think it was just an e email I sent out of desperation at the very end thinking, I don't know, maybe something will come up with this, you know, and something did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, now what effect did this have on your wife? Um, uh... Was she, was she tough on herself when, when she found out about all this? Like For sure. Yeah. She's, she's had some struggles, you know, to be, to be, to be sure this is, you know, we're going on not quite seven years. It'll be seven years here in 
in another month. But she looks back and she's she's been tough on herself because well, how did I miss this? Why didn't I recognize this? You yeah. Know? Why didn't I ask more questions? Well, you know, like we, like we were talking about earlier, it's it's and that's common. But as as you, the closer you are, the, the harder it is to see it, right? And you just in the moment, it's 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 hard to recognize. And like I said, it's 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 hidden. Gambling addiction is different. You can't, you know, if I was strung out on heroin or something, you could see that. You yeah. Know? Mentally, I was a mess, but physically, you couldn't really tell that that there was something going on there. And so she's gone to therapy. We both have continued to go to therapy and she has her own um, therapist that knows her story, knows her situation and was there from the beginning. And so she can help her and she has, and she's come a long way. And we have been able to rebuild the trust and the foundation that I had destroyed basically over all those years. That's, that's great that, that you could do that. Uh, did, when you went for treatment, uh, can you tell us uh, how long is the treatment and what's involved in that kind of treatment? Right. And so you think of it was it was uh, thirty days, and you think of a lot of people just don't understand it, and, and and I didn't either, to be honest with you. What was involved? You know, gambling addiction, like I said, is the, the dopamine in the brain is very similar to what happens with a drug addict or an alcoholic but you don't necessarily go through the physical withdrawals that you do with a drug addiction or alcohol addiction. What it is, it's all mental, you know? And so what they do is they sit you down and they try and let you decompress. And after three or four days, the professionals will just started to explain to me what actually was going on inside of my brain. And my, my questions to them were always the same. Like this is pretty cut and dry for me. I make, I made terrible choices. So that makes me a bad person. This is black and white. And they would sit and they, they would walk me off the ledge and just explain the process of this addiction. And what happens is we get so clouded in our thinking and the dopamine and these, these, the highs that we get from the gambling that we're making terrible choices. But once you get to, once you understand that process, then it's a, you know, I went to it. Mine was a 12 step um, based program. And that's very similar to drug, some drug treatment centers and alcohol treatment centers, you know, and there's, there's no right or wrong way to do it. I don't think, but I bought into the 12 step program and it worked for me. Yeah. And so, you know, that's in that respect, it's pretty similar to, to like a a drug um, treatment center or alcohol center as well. Now, how difficult now is it for you to see someone who has a gambling addiction? It's, it's, tough you know you look at it and i and i and i and i speak with addicts gambling addicts and talk with them and they're lost it's and and you know what's going on behind the scenes because i've been there you know and there's a family behind the scenes that's that's being lied to and financially that person is doing so much damage to their family and you can see the pain in their eyes so it's hard for me to see you know and it's because it brings me back to where i was and I still to this day have those moments where I, I, I think back to where I was and those some of those days that we were talking about earlier when I'm in the throes yeah. of the addiction and just the loneliness, the isolation that you see, and then you just see the the the, the glazed over look in their eyes as if what am I doing? Why do I keep repeating this these 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 mistakes? Why am I why do I continue to do this? And so it's 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 hard to see, but for me, 
it's rewarding when I can break through, you know, when I have an opportunity to sit down with somebody that's really struggling and I can, I can just look them in the eyes and say, Hey, I know where you're at. Okay. I've been there. This is where I was. This is what I did to my family. And this is where I'm at now. And so through that, yeah. sometimes that, sometimes that will resonate and they will actually turn their life around and take the steps necessary to get back on track. And so that's, that's what the thrill I get now. So it's, it's possible even when you're helping them though, it's actually kind of triggering you at times back to where, yeah, yeah you know, it, it does, which is tough, it does. which is it tough. Is tough. Yeah. It's tough, but there's also the, the element of this. But you're getting I, rewarded. Yeah. yeah, I'm getting rewarded. And I, you know, I, I, I made the decision Ron, early on that I always wanted to stay on the edge with this. I never wanted to get too comfortable with my recovery because you hear these stories all the time about the drug addict or the gambling addict or the alcoholic who says, well, I can have a drink. I'm, I'm yeah. five years. I can have a drink or, well, then it's just a slow progression to right back to where you were. Sure. Actually, it's not slow at all. It would be rapid. You know, it would be, you would be accelerated, but that's what happens. And so I always want to stay on the edge and not, again, not get too comfortable or complacent with where I'm at. And so that like, yeah, you, you said it well, I mean, it, it, it can be a trigger, but in a way it's a good thing for me. So uh, what are you doing now to help those that are suffering in their addiction? Uh, do you have a program you set up or? So how does that work? Right. So I, I, when the opportunity arises, I talk with them, you know, I, um, I, I visit treatment centers. I, I talk to families, the families of the addicts, the addicts themselves, you know, I'm going to start doing more and more of that now that, you know, COVID is, is not what it was, you know, before it's, it's hopefully we're, we're able to do that, but I like to visit treatment centers where the, the patients are there, the families are there because the families have questions too, you know, right. and they're in the dark. And so I can almost be a sounding board, but at the same time, raise awareness and let them know of some of the warning signs, some of the dangers, some of the th things they may be hearing or being told from their loved one who's a gambling addict. And so it's, there's a little bit of both talking with the, the patient and, and the families as well. What would, what would you say to someone, Pat, out there listening to this, who either has the problem or a family member having to suffer from it uh, to get back on the right path? What would you tell them? Well, the first thing I would say to the, to the addict themselves is to talk to somebody about it. The first thing you have to do is talk about it because if you keep it hidden or you keep it in, that's just going to make it worse. Right. You know, there are treatment options out there. There aren't enough. Um, in my opinion, we need more, but there are treatment options out, out there. And the, the, the key is to get into treatment, get a therapist or a counselor, somebody that you can talk to on a regular basis the family as well, you know, and recognize all of the, 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 the possible pitfalls and dangers for somebody who's, who's trying to turn their life around and is a gambling addict, because there are a lot of them. There are a lot of different um, forks in the road that they can take. And so it's, it's really working as a unit, the family and the, and the addict themselves and raising awareness and letting them know, Hey, this can happen or this can happen. Or if you have a question here, this is what you should do, or this is who you can talk to. And it's, it's really being a sounding board and, and just educating them too, at the same time. Was there, was there a specific moment or event that helped shape you and your new purpose in life? There was, you know, there were um, a couple of them. One, one that really sticks out to me is, 
you know, when I was in, when I was in jail, there was a, there was a guy a couple years younger than me who was in the bunk right across from me. And he came in and he was a strung out heroin addict and he had been there in and out of that place his whole life. He and his wife were both heroin addicts. They lost their kids and they wanted them back, but they didn't know how to do it. They were, they were just, they were lost. And so I talked to this, this guy after he went through four or five days of detoxing and he was able to, to calmly have a conversation. We would sit there and we would drink coffee together every night and just talk. And I would explain to him where I had been, what I had done, the fact that I had just gotten out of treatment and was, and was, was focused on turning my life around. And so, and I could see the pain in this guy's eyes and he would, you know, at the end of the night, he's crying every night because he can't get his kids back and he just wants help. And he didn't know how to get help. He didn't, he had burned all the bridges, exhausted all the relationships he had. And so I talked to him. I came to find out later after I left that place and uh, that he was able to get himself into treatment. He and his wife both. And he went back to those conversations that we had and said how much of a difference that made in his life and how that changed his whole perspective. And they were eventually able to get their kids back. And so it's that, that, you know, that was, that was a, a, a big thing for me. Sure. Being able to, being able to make a difference and a positive impact on somebody else that's struggling after spending so many years taking from people to have the ability to, to, to give back. Yeah. It was a huge thing for me because I had never, I had just had never experienced that before. That, that was great that that happened. Why do you think uh, there is such a stigma when it comes to addiction? Well, I think a lot of it, Ron, is, is education and awareness, you know, especially with um, I'll just speak to, to to gambling addiction right now, because a lot of people don't understand it. One, they don't they don't they just view it as, well, you're just making bad choices, you know, just stop doing it. They don't understand the process that's going on in the brain, the process of addiction and dopamine, how that affects your, your, your choices and your decision-making. And so the stigma comes from, I think, again, lack of awareness, lack of education, lack of understanding the disease of addiction and what that does to the brain. You know, there are inherently bad people in this world that make bad decisions because they're bad people, but there are also really good people suffering from big time addictions that make bad choices. And Again, it's easy to look from afar if you not if you don't understand addiction or you've never experienced it or you don't know anybody that's that's had a, a a serious addiction. It's easy to look at somebody's lifestyle and choices and just say, "Whoa, that person's a bad person," not knowing what's actually going on inside their brain. And so that's it. And that's what I try and do now is raise awareness and educate and explain to people because I didn't know any of this either before I learned it. And, and, and fell into addiction, I had no idea how this all worked. You know, I just, I thought I was a bad person. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, I think it's that, Ron, I think it's I just, people just don't get it. They don't understand it. They're not educated on addiction and they've never experienced it. Pat, what are your thoughts on state sponsored sports betting? And is the gambling addiction getting worse because of it? And all the, you see all these gambling commercials on TV. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I have a few. Um, we, you know, we live in a state where, where it is legal to bet on sports now. You know, we have state sponsored sports betting and it was inevitable. First of all, for one, we all knew it was going to happen. It's, it's no different than legalized marijuana. There's too much money involved. You know, it was, it was just a matter of time before it was, before it happened. And so the problem I have though, is that all of these different 
advertisements we see, if you're watching a football game or you're watching any sort of sporting event, literally every commercial, there's a, there's some sort of gambling ad or twist or aspect to it. Right. With very little warning or very little, um, with no education at all. And it's always portrayed as fun. When you see these gambling advertisements, you don't see people, you don't see the reality of it. You don't see people that have been, they don't show the people that have been sitting in the casino for 15 hours and they're down to their last $5 and their kids sitting in the car because he, you know, their, their, their gambling has become more important than, than being a parent. They don't show those people. And those are 85 to 90% of the people that you see in the casinos. And so it's that, and it's also, it's so accessible. You know, you can bet from your, your smartphone. We have all these apps and all these different things that you can access to, to bet easily now without even having to go jump through all the hoops that I used to have to do. So it's a lot easier to, to get to. It's a lot, easy, a lot easier to find. And one thing I, I found out recently is that 6% of college students already have mild forms of gambling addiction. And it's wow. because of the access and how easy it is to, to do it, basically. Yeah, they're on their computers and you don't know what they're doing. It's everywhere. You it's know? everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, what excites you, Pat, the most going forward in your work helping people with their addiction? Well, I think what it, the, the, the biggest thrill I get out of it, what excites me the most is seeing families come together, families that are broken. You know, that's, that was the, the, the biggest thing for me. And, and the thing that scared me the most when I was at my lowest point was losing my family. And that's, that's what you see in the, in the eyes of the gambling addict. You see fear and they're scared and they're afraid that they're going to lose their family. And so to, to see those families come back together is a huge thing, you know, to see kids back with their parents or, or a father back into the, into the house and being able to be a dad again to his kids after he's, he's, he's gotten help or gotten better. You know, it's, it's that it's, it's yeah. seeing people turn things around after they've reached a point of desperation where they thought there was no hope. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be rewarding. How can people contact you if they want to get a hold of you? Probably the best way Ron right now is my Twitter. You know, it's, it's at Patrick Chester nine, the number nine. And right now that's the best way to reach me. I've got a, a new website I'm building right now and a couple other things going on. I'm writing a book, but that won't be out till probably later this summer. Oh, you know, but it's, let us, let us, let me know when you get that book written. I want to hear about it for sure. Yeah, I will. I, I I'm looking forward to that. You know, I, I've been, been working on it for a while now and it's, um, it's, I'm really looking forward to getting that done. It sounds great. Now I'm going to list that in the podcast notes. I want to thank you, Pat, for, for having the courage to come on and share your story and for all you're doing now to help those with addictions. And I wish you nothing but the best going forward. Uh, comments and suggestions to improve the podcast, you can email me at it's a wrap with rap at gmail.com. Our website is it's a wrap with rap.com. We have a Facebook page and group, it's a wrap with rap. Instagram, it's a wrap with rap podcast, and YouTube, all the episodes are on YouTube. It's a wrap with rap, the podcast uncut. Thanks everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. And for now, it's a wrap.